Good morning, West Heights family. Good answer. The announcement today is that there are no announcements. What? Who whooped? What? You're going to have to go online to see what's coming up these uh, next several weeks to uh, just to, to check that out. There's lots going on for young adults and various people. So, uh, so my name is Dave Patterson. Apparently, I'm the summer fill-in when Josh is away. So he asked me to uh, be part of launching a new sermon series today. I'm actually going to do the bookends. I'm the first of the series, and I'll come up and uh, join with you again at the very end of the summer. So uh, my wife and I, Mary and I, have been attending for three years, but much of that was online during COVID. So it's been a great time for us to be part of uh, this church. And we've gotten to know lots of people, but there's so many we don't know. So after church, anytime, come meet me and I'll have forgotten your name probably. Don't do that with Mary. She's very quiet and shy, but you can, uh, you can come right up to me and shake my hand. I'll be thrilled to, uh, to meet up with you. All right? So I'm going to start with this. I want you to think back. For some of you, this is going way back. Think back to when you were a very young, impressionable person and what your hopes and dreams and goals were. You know, maybe what you wanted to do for a living or just what was the thing that you wanted most in life, right? When I was really young, it was a policeman or astronaut. Typical, typical, right? But then I want you to think, go a little further in time, maybe young adult, just finished college. What were your priorities? What were you aiming for? What was most important to you? Think about that for a second. Don't answer out loud. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, um, I would wager that none of you in your thoughts right now said, the most important thing when I was young, or most important thing coming out of college, I just wanted wisdom. Did anybody say that? No? No? No. Right? That is not the common answer that we would have. Gandalf, Yoda, I think... Christina, a couple of weeks ago, well, and it was in May, right? She rhymed off, she mentioned, uh, I wrote them down, Rafiki on Lion King, if you know who that is, or Grandma Wi uh, Willow from Pocahontas. She spoke about wisdom for a moment. And this is actually our theme this morning. We're going to talk all about wisdom. But lest you think I'm into ageism, or maybe reverse ageism, as if everybody who's old is wise. I want to I debunk that right now, okay? And that's why I wore my newest favorite shirt. This is what I wear around these days. It's weird being the same age as old people. I, I always, I mean, for those who know me from house church, you know that I'm in a constant state of holding back, right? So I'm a little off the wall hyper, I'm right now keeping from jumping up and down. I really am. And, and so I always feel sort of younger than I am, but somehow something gives it away where, I, I don't know, where I work, some people just automatically, they go to me, think I'm going to have the wise words because I'm a little longer in the tooth, or others will kind of write me off, oh, that seasoned guy, what's he know? He's, he's not up to date, right? So I get this sort of from either end. And I want to say to you, I have known 
seriously. Lots of young people. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I've known lots of young people that I would describe as wise beyond their years. Like you'd go like, that person was born old, not in a negative way, but wow, they've got some depth. And I see some nods. And I've known lots of more seasoned people, I'll say, that have yet to kind of mature and grow up and take things seriously. Do you know what I'm saying? So we're going to talk about wisdom, but I don't want you to equate that with, oh, that just means somebody who's older. That's, that's not it at all. This message is for everybody and anybody here, wherever, whatever stage you are at. Okay? So this is a new series for the summer. We're going to walk through parts of the book of Proverbs. That's what we're doing. We're staying in Proverbs for the summer. And my hope, my goal for you this morning, even though this is what we call the introductory message, wah, 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 no, my hope is that this is going to excite you, seriously, and ignite you to get into Proverbs, to dig in and find nuggets, maybe new nuggets, maybe old nuggets of truth and meaning that will rock your socks, that will change your life. I'm serious about that. Proverbs is a collection of like sagely advice for everyday living, not theological on the mountaintop, fancy words. No, this is down to earth what we need to know for what we're going to do tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. It's for real life rubber meets the road type of stuff. It's practical and it's important. So I'm going to start off just with fun. I'm going, to run, I'm going to read to you some sentences, and I want you to vote on whether you think it comes from the book of Proverbs. Don't pull out your device. Don't look it up. Okay? This is from memory. And most people, when you ask them to vote, they don't, they don't want to put their hand up. So I'm going to get you to vote. Everybody vote. If you think the phrase I read to you is from Proverbs, clap a couple times. That way, if you're wrong, nobody's going to see this. Only the person to your left and right is going to go... You don't know. All right? Here we go. Phrases, maybe from the book of Proverbs. All that glitters is not gold. Good job. That's William Shakespeare. <laughs> Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. Close. Mother Teresa. The greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Well, now you're just scared to clap. <laughs> that was Nelson Mandela. A nagging wife is like the constant dripping on a rainy day. <laughs> how shame, how dare you to clap on that? Yeah, that's from Proverbs 27. And let's, let's be inclusive in our language. I am quite certain that a nagging husband sounds just as drippy. I'll just say that. All right, a couple more. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. 
I love your engagement. Uh, that was Robert Louis Stevenson. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Some of you know that's Proverbs 4. Okay, we'll stop there. We, I've got a whole bunch, and Mary, in her wisdom, said, don't do them all. <laughs> and you're clapping. This is getting out of hand. Let's stop and pray. Let's talk to God. Yes, God, we love you, and I'm just so grateful for the music that we've already sung that just sets our heart on, on this desire to have you breathe, for you to breathe on us, in us, through us. And we just acknowledge as we bow in your presence at home or here in person that, Jesus, we, we really need you. Holy Spirit, we trust you to guide us in the uh, confusion and the chaos that is our life. There are people here, I'm sure, who are um, doing great, doing well. And there's other people here that maybe they're just hanging on by their fingernails. So wherever we're at, seated in your presence, Lord, in your presence right now, I ask that you would help us to receive your will, uh, to understand your ways, and that you would show us your wisdom, even in this introductory message. Impress on us what we need to know, not for right now, but for future days. Make us more like Jesus, because we've been here, and we've worshipped together, and we've listened to your word, and we've pondered it. We ask for this, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, no more clapping, okay? So this is an introductory message, like I said. So we're going to go through a few mechanics here. Shouldn't be boring, but we're going to talk about the structure of, of Scripture, where Proverbs fits in all of Scripture. And of course, we want to talk about the author, the purpose of this book called Proverbs, and also... Um, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's structure, where, what, it's, what it's like, okay? So I want to start with Proverbs and Scripture. Just where does it fit in? Smart people, people smarter than me, down through the ages, have taken all the books of the Bible and generally put them into categories. I'm going to call them like genre because we can relate to that, right? What kind of books do you read? What kind of movies do you watch? We talk about genres, right? Like, uh, do we like romance, like rom-com versus Western or sci-fi, right? When you're reading or watching things? Well, there are categories of books of Scripture as well. We could take, you know, First and Second Samuel's King's Chronicles, and we call those, you know, like their, their narrative style, right? So we call those the historical books, they kind of tell you about different characters and the history of what was going on. There's a, a whole other set that we would call the prophetic books, right? So we've got the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then the minor prophets. Not like they don't matter, they're just shorter books, right? So all of those are sort of God's mouthpiece, somebody in time foretelling or forthtelling God's heart for people prophetic books. But then there's this smaller segment that we would call 
wisdom literature, one little part of the Bible that doesn't really cement itself in time. It's not really prophesying something to come, but it's more like what we need to know about how we need to live, and it transcends all time, right? So there are some Psalms that fit in that category, some of them. And then Job, we consider a wisdom book. But then the remaining ones, generally, are Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, and Proverbs. Those last three, all written by Solomon, you're listening, right? So this is where Proverbs fits within Scripture. And that's going to be important. We're going to talk about this later. But we want to think about the the sort of the genre, the category of the writing, because that influences how we read it, how we understand it, okay? So it's written by Solomon, so that segues perfectly into talking about the authorship. So you know of King David, right, of David and Goliath fame? He was this beloved king, David, right? You know, he's loved or beloved or the beloved of God. And he was just a great, great ruler of the Israelite nation long ago. And Solomon, his son, took over after him, took, took the realm, took the helm and the realm after him. Solomon, in his day, he was the king with the most prosperity of any king that ever came before him or after him. But he wasn't known just for, you know, the, the splendor of the temple that he built. He was known mostly for his wisdom. People came from far and wide to hear him. And I want to just say this. Even though David was the loved one of God, we would say, he had his missteps. He had his faults. And Solomon, wise as he was, he had a few slips and trips major sins in his life too. So I don't want you to think these guys were perfect. But just to paint a picture, that's who they are. And we're not going to go there and talk about their mis misdeeds. We're going to focus in on Solomon as the source of this wisdom book. Okay? So let's look at the last words of David in First Chronicles 29 as he's handing over the realm. King David says to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, he's young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure, this temple that David wanted to build and never got to, is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. So David had collected and amassed some of like his wealth and some materials to get started on this temple, Solomon had to carry that on, right? To lead the people and to build this temple to the Lord. The very next thing we read in scripture is now the very first verse of 2 Chronicles. Now Solomon has come into his place. So it starts with Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. The Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. 
And then this one point in time, verse 7 of that first chapter of Second Chronicles says, that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answers God and says, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in, this, in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people that are as numerous as the dust on earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Remember what I asked you at the outset? When you were a little kid or coming out of college, what, did, what were your goals, hopes, dreams? What did you want? Solomon's main priority was for wisdom and knowledge, right off the bat. So God says to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, honor, nor the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore... Wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will give you also wealth, possessions, honor, such as no king uh, who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Wow. What an honor. Little, little bit later in life, one more verse for you, one more passage. First Kings 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. And the scriptures actually, I left this out, names all these wise guys of his day. He was beyond all them, it says. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. They're not all in our book. And his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssops that grow on the walls. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. You get, you're, you're painting a picture here? He was a pretty smart guy. He was young and inexperienced, but he was smart enough at the right time to say, God, here's my priority. I can't pull this off. I need help from you, and you're, you're the source. I need you. So that's who he is. What about the why? Why did he write the book of Proverbs? You ever asked yourself, when you read books of the Bible, why? Why is that there? You ever read Job and said, I hardly get this. Why is that even in here? The why is found in our main passage. I know we're doing a lot of scripture here, but I want us to read just the first piece of Proverbs 1 because this sets the stage for what you're going to hear for the rest of the summer, right? This sets the stage for the book and for everything that comes in the weeks to come here, all right, so why did Solomon write Proverbs? There's at least a twofold answer here. I want to see if you catch it. So it starts like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, or we would read it like, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Why? For gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior 
doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. And let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So did you catch that? Why does Solomon write this? First of all, and we know this, Solomon wrote this book primarily for young men who were going to have leadership positions for the nation. So he wanted to give them a guidebook. So he's like, these are, the, these, are, these are the instructions for young people. So you gain knowledge and wisdom and prudence. You're careful and, and you act justly and fairly. He wrote it almost like a training manual for young people and said, and let the, the older people learn from this too. And then he points squarely you want wisdom? You think I'm wise? You've been coming to visit me? The fear of the Lord is step one. If you want any wisdom in lifestyle, in behavior, in life's journey at all. Okay? So lest we think Solomon's like egotistical, I've got the goods right here. He immediately says, no, you've got to look to God. All right? For us... As Christians, the better we know God, in fact, because Jesus is the exact representation of his being, he's our best understanding of God, the better we understand God through Christ, his character, his will, his ways, the better we're able to actually respond in life's journey. That's the start of it, okay? So there's a key phrase here the one phrase I want to unpack from that, and that's the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? The fear of the Lord. Does that mean the only way for us to really experience life properly is that we have to be terrified at all times and cower from this great big God? It doesn't mean that at all. Okay, it's, it's kind of old language. You could translate fear of God as to revere him to stand in awe of him, to respect him, to understand that God is, well, huge, impressive, powerful, right? He's mind-blowing, he's amazing, but he's also important, significant, like valuable, worth listening to here and now. It's this weird dichotomy that God is all of that and way out there. And yet he chooses to be intimate and relational and personal. To actually, God wants to give us wisdom from him. I find that mind-blowing myself. So another way to say that, and this is also from Scripture, if you read through scripture, another way that ancient Israel would think of God is that, another word they would use is that he, he's heavy. He's weighty. His mindset and what matters to him, that's heavy. And I love that because any of you old enough 
to remember the 60s and the 70s, right? If someone goes, wow, man, that's deep, that's heavy. Do you remember that? <laughs> heavy, man. So I found a picture of somebody from that era. That's me in high school. All right, take that off. Sorry, if you're at home and you don't get to see that, I'm sorry. I don't know if you got to see that. So I, my brother was a hippie. I wasn't, but I tried to look it, right? But we used to go, well, peace, man, that's, that's heavy. Remember that? So I tell you that because that's the exact same, funny as it is, exact same way we should think of God in his wisdom. It's heavy. It's like if we put on a scale things that really, really matter to God and those things to us that are just really important on our agenda. You see what I'm doing there? The scale is, they're not the same. Whatever matters to God trumps what matters, like what we think is of greatest priority, right? We have to be aligning ourselves according to, to God because he's heavy. And I, we're not going to play it, but I had a song I was going to have you, I was going to play. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. The Hollies, 1969. Yes, I see those hands. There you go. Great song. I was going to play a minute, but we don't have time. So this is who God is. So how do we do it? How, we're supposed to fear God. How do we do it? This isn't from me. This is like a smart theologian guy kind of explained what that means to us in real terms. So I want to just read this to you. This is what it means to fear God. The fear of the Lord is that deep and abiding sense of appreciation and love for God, which inspires one to live in a way that reflects one's devotion and respect for God and for his will. Because of his great love and sacrifice on my behalf, I do not want to offend him or give others a reason to condemn his name. Fear, fear of God, it is reverence and awe based on affection and love, mingled with honor. That's not scaredy cat type stuff. It's the conviction that God's smile, or you could say Jesus' smile, is the greatest blessing, and God's frown is the greatest evil that can happen to me. Conviction must lead to action, though. I must seek practically his smile and avoid the catastrophe of his frown. That has to do with how I live. So if God says something about money, I should listen. If he says something about sex, about work, about the poor, I should listen. That is, I should take God seriously. God is an important person. He does not like to be forgotten, despised, blasphemed, trivialized. He is important because he's God. The fear of the Lord should evoke awe and respect, causing us to seek his smile and to avoid his frown. Doesn't that sound right? So I just want to do just a couple of sentences here about the structure, okay? We want to think about kind of the format and the genre of this book. Proverbs is a little weird. Can I say that out loud? Like compared to all the other scriptures, like it's different, right, from all the other books. 
If you take a look at it, virtually every sentence is like a standalone, little, pithy, memorable sentence, right? About where the rubber meets the road. If you skim over it really quickly, it just sounds like you're reading a medley of fortune cookies, right? It does. But I want to invite you to, to slow down, go deeper, take your time. There's wisdom here, nuggets, gems of wisdom to be mined if you take your time. Because he covers in this topics like money, friendship, family, anger, work, words, like how we speak. I find it fascinating, like fascinating, that you've got this amazingly brilliant man in charge of the whole nation, sits down at his desk to write a, a manual for the young leaders of the nation to govern correctly. And he doesn't sit down and start writing legislative policy government and judicial guidelines. Think about that. Organizational structure. None of it. It's how do you treat your children, your spouse, your co-workers? How do you show benevolence? What about the poor? What are you going to do? Watch out for moral pitfalls. These are the topics to give to leaders to guide the nation. And I'm thinking if you actually got a handle on those rubber meets the road lifestyle things, that might set you on a good foot to lead provincially, nationally, wherever it is. Do you think? I think there's a correlation there. So... One last little illustration. When I was a youth leader, one night had 30, 40 youth come together. We met at the home of a family from the church, and I prearranged this. I asked the lady of the house to put out all kinds of ingredients on her kitchen counter and, and, and got permission. Could we use your kitchen? Yes. She put all kinds of stuff out. So we did a study, a little Bible study, about the Bible. What's the Bible? Where'd it come from? Who wrote it? Stuff like that, right? I cut the study short. Yay. And I said to the group, though I usually brought the food, oh, I didn't bring snack tonight. Oh. But I've made arrangements. I said, you guys get to make snack. So I said, I want all the ladies over here, all the gentlemen over there. Okay, so girls, here you go. And I gave them a recipe card. You're making muffins for the group. I want you to follow this recipe exactly. Yes, we can do that. To the guys, nothing. You choose the ingredients, figure out the proportions. These guys were cocky, right? And they were right away, like it's a competition. Yes, we've got this. So they went and tried to make muffins too. And then we had snack together. And we loved the girls' muffins. <laughs> One or two of the guys still thought they made the best. They didn't. 
They were terrible. So then we got back together and they caught it because my closing kind of analogy for the study was, this is your recipe book for life. And you could say that about Proverbs. Proverbs was written as a lifestyle manual. That's its purpose. So we're going to spend the summer. You're going to have different speakers up here through the summer months, each on a different topic, which is different from where we just walked through Peter, right? So now if you miss a week, it's okay. You can still see it online, but you don't have to. If you miss one, it doesn't matter, right? But each week is a different topic of something so, so important to our life, just like the whole Bible is. So I'm going to close with just three tips, three tips on how to read this book of Proverbs. If you're not already excited, I'm hoping you are. The first one is this. Proverbs is comprised of practical principles, not promises. Let's say that again. Practical principles, not promises. Remember the genre? It's memorable. It's like a bunch of lines from songs that if you sing it, you remember the... It's kind of like that. It's written so that it's a memorable piece of advice, not written like a narrative, big, long story that takes 15 chapters. It's so that this nugget is, has impact and can be impressionable. It can hit you, okay? Proverbs 22.6, you all know it. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Listen, people who read Proverbs as promises, I've known so many who have lived such pain because of that. They'll raise their kids, they'll emulate Christ in their lives, they'll raise them to know Jesus, invite them to come to faith, and a lot of times, some child, when they get of you know, their own discerning age, will turn away or go astray. And the parents, for the rest of their lives, will beat themselves with, where did we go wrong? We failed. And that's not necessarily true. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And here I am standing before you. I love Christ. How did that happen? So you can be raised in that environment. And I don't know how it works that God chooses people and God gives us faith. It comes through his spirit. But it's somehow we're also, we have a say in this and we make decisions. I don't know how that works, but both are true. And I've known people that have just felt so guilty or have turned from God. God, I read that verse in Proverbs 22 and you didn't keep your promise. It's not a math formula. If A, then B, and it'll lead to C. It doesn't work like that. But if you follow the wisdom contained in Scripture as best you can, odds are your child will have the best possibility of knowing Jesus and coming to him of their own volition. Does that make sense? I hope that doesn't sound sacrilegious to you. Scripture is truth. But Proverbs isn't written like some of the other books. They are principles to govern our lives. Okay? Um, second thing, take it all in. 
And I'm going to invite you to mark up your Bible. It's hard to do if you're doing it electronically. But a few years ago when I really dug into Proverbs, I just like on a map, you know, you've got all the little, a legend with all the little symbols. I made a legend in the margin of my Bible. I drew little lips for every, anything to do with your mouth and how you speak. I drew a little dollar sign and every verse they came across that was about prosperity or about savings or about poor or about finances or greed, right? So I made a bunch of symbols for the main topics because it jumps all over the place. And I read through Proverbs a few times, right? You can read it in a month, read one chapter a day. But then I spent time and I read all the verses that were only about financial things and came up with principles for my life. This, this is telling me how, what I should do with any money that I ever gain. Right? So mark it up. You can do it. It's okay. Last thing. For the greatest life-changing impact. And that's what this is, right? Like we don't read for head knowledge. This isn't like, let me show you what I've memorized. No, it's, it's so that God, by his word, through the spirit, can transform us into Christ's image. That's our goal in life, right? That Christ would be seen in us, right? So my last thing would be, use the, what I call the one verse memorization meditation approach. I'll tell you what I mean. I used to try to always like try to read big chunks or read the whole Bible in a year and there's nothing wrong with that. So you get the wisdom of the all of scripture. But what, what has worked for me the most, what has changed my life the most through the Bible has been when I find something, it could be a word, could be a sentence, could be a paragraph, and it, it really hits me. It really impresses me, or it bugs me, or I don't get it, and I stay on it for a period of time. So I'm going to give you an example. I've done this with Proverbs, but I'm going to give you my favorite example. It's actually from Psalms. Psalm 86.11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You say it real fast, it comes out like a Again, a fortune cookie saying. But if you take one verse that you're reading through and it makes you stop, what does that mean? How, how does that work? And if you were to, every morning, I try this, I did this, every morning for months, you pray that verse with seriousness. You don't say it. You, you're talking to God. Teach me your way, Lord. You're begging him that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear. There it is. Fear your name. And then every night when you go to bed, your head hits the pillow before you sleep, you start asking yourself questions. And you do this in your devotional. God, how did you teach me your way today? What is your way? How is your way not my way? When is my way not going your way? I dare you to spend months asking him every day, how today was my heart divided? Because he'll answer you. I want to revere and respect and be in awe of your name. Show me. If you spend time on one proverb that you don't like, 
or that really impacts you or really impresses you and you spend time on it, think of it, read everything else in scripture related to it, it'll change you. It, well, God will change you by using his word. And I want to invite that for you this summer. So let's pray. So God, I'm going to acknowledge again that your, um, your authority surpasses ours. Jesus, you've lived and your life was recorded here on earth as an example for us. Your priorities are more important, more weighty. And so I would just ask that this summer, that rather than skimming over, and even rather than our priorities overriding yours, that we would uh, take the time to listen to what Solomon wrote as a training manual for our lives. And I would just invite for everyone here in your presence or listening at home or wherever they are, that, that their desire would be Christ in me, the hope of glory, for, for your glory, Lord, and for our good. In Jesus' name.